Good morning. Uh, thank you for being here this morning on this uh, on what here in Brooklyn is turning out to be a beautiful summer day. Uh, I'd like to start off by talking about confession. Uh, which is something that the Ehe Koso which we just chanted, uh, points to. And I like to highlight highlight the fact that that Zen is a is a confessional practice at a very uh, in a very basic way that it's foundational. Dogen says, by revealing and disclosing our lack of faith and practice before the Buddha, we melt away the root of transgressions by the power of our confession and repentance. So the practice of confession and repentance sets, sets the conditions in place for this melting away of transgression. And he says, this is the pure and simple color of true practice of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith. So confession is not a is not some kind of mental gymnastics, but something we actually do with our with our body. Confession in, you know, confession is talked about in Zen in, in a lot of ways. I know Reb talks about Zazen itself as a as a type of uh, formless confession. So we sit in Zazen, our karmic patterns come up, and we have an opportunity to see them and to not act on them, to let them fall away. So in that sense, there's a... We, uh, we acknowledge them, we see them, and in that moment, in that moment of acknowledging, we can take responsibility. So it's a two-part process. There's an acknowledgement of it and an avowing, which is a, a taking responsibility and the possibility of space around that. So we're, at, we're able to own it, own our twisted karma and in, in, in that moment in that moment be free of it going along with that there is I think part of the activity part of the mechanism of confession is actually tasting tasting the, the pain of the harm that we've done. Actually tasting the twistedness of our ancient twisted karma. So deeply feeling the suffering of that separation. Feeling the bite. You know, remorse means to bite again. So feeling the, the twinge, the pain of that suffering and that hurt. Taking it into the heart and bearing witness to it. 
with the mind and the body. And then deeply feeling the suffering of that, compassion arises from that. And I really like the image that Dogen uses of melting, that there's a quality of warmth to confession. We take responsibility for our karmic lives and in the acknowledgement and the experiencing of that pain, there's a quality of melting, a melting away of the separation that that karmic habit has built up around us. Another important thing for me to that's been really coming alive for me is the fact that confession is a relational practice. Even if we're doing it in zazen, you know, bearing witness to these karmic patterns that arise, you know, these karmic pattern, patterns are being are arising in the the holding container of awareness. So this activity happens in relationship. Held by awareness or held by the presence of the ancestors. By doing it, we, set, we, we enter into a relational field. And of course, if we confess you know, to our teacher or to another Sangha member or to, commu- or to the community, that relationship is, is just made explicit. Ibram Kendi talks about the heartbeat of the heartbeat of anti-racism, of anti-racist work, is confession. And I like the fact that he uses the word heartbeat with confession here. So confession is not this periodic, spontaneous, spontaneous practice, practice that we take up to, you know, to just, you know, clear the table of our karma. It's actually the request of, of that of that work is a persistent and a perpetual orientation of the heart that is actually confessional. That actually what is enabling us, like the the doorway into that work is is through an ongoing practice of confession. And I think this is related to what I was talking about in my last talk of the, the orientation of the receiving heart. I talked about the uh, hospitality of receiving, an orientation, an attitude. Uh, attitude is too superficial. Uh, it's a, qu- a quality of the heart can, that can let the pain of ancient twisted karma come up and so we can feel it and take responsibility for it. And so this, I'm really lately feeling into, in my own practice as a, as a white man, this quality of ongoing confession that is what enables me to, to do this work and ultimately to express solidarity. I can't do it without the practice of confession without a heartbeat of confession. So heartbeat is ongoing, 
circulatory life-giving. I've also been feeling into lately the relationship between what what seems to be an arising of responsibility, an awareness in, in the protests, in the in this renewed, renewed, yeah, maybe a renewed, more explicit support and expression for black lives and the experience of the pandemic, of the mourning and the grieving that was asked of us because of that. And I'm really starting to see the connection between these two events in my own life as kind of the the shared ground that exists between practices of mourning and grieving and of confession. They support each other. And I started thinking, how is mourning like confession? What, what do they share? And I don't want to use the words mourning and grieving interchangeably. I think grieving is, for me... Uh, a very personal and intimate process and mourning. You know, one definition I read said that mourning is like grieving done in public, but a more collective uh, participatory activity than, than grieving. The mourning is uh, something we do with others. In mourning, we acknowledge the pain of a loss, of a death, It's an acknowledging of the human pain of lives that love, lives that die, lives that are murdered. And in confession, we're seeing old patterns come up. We taste the pain of our attachment to them. We get a glimpse of what it means to take responsibility for it. And we taste the possibility of even even if just you know even just a bat squeak of possibility of what it would mean not to continue that pattern in the future. I think for me the 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 two months at the beginning of this pandemic, the quarantine time of isolation created a a space where I could grieve in a a much wider way than I ever have done before. Grieving an old way of life, an old way of being in the world, grieving an old way of community. And there's something about going through that process that made confession Take on, take also a, a wider breadth of operate in a wider field in a way. My capacity to grieve supported my capacity to be with my ancient twisted karma. And another thing that this does, I think I've talked earlier about opening up, you know, the possibilities of imagination. That part of grieving an old way, of mourning an old way, confessing our old way, is preparing the space 
for reimagining a new way. And I actually would like to put aside the word imagine for a moment. And because in a way I think imagine is too too flimsy a word for I think what this space that's created is. And I would actually like to use the word prophetic. I went to Union Theological Seminary, so I can use words like prophetic now. That it's not just giving us a possibility of imagining a new way of community, a new way of being, but it's actually redefining redefining what's possible. It's actually leaning into a reality where police departments are abolished or defunded. Or for a white person, leaning into a reality, what it would mean to live a life beyond the chill bonds of privilege. These acts of mourning and acts of confession are actually giving us the tools to re-realize new ways. I went to a, actually a couple times, I've noticed this phenomenon. Well, I'll just talk about yesterday. I went to a protest and, you know, on Juneteenth, you know, on, on the surface, Juneteenth is celebrating, celebrating the day that the, the news of the Emancipation Proclamation arrived in, in Texas. That took two years for that news to get from Washington to Texas. So on one service, on one level, you can call that, uh, you would say, oh, that's a celebration. At the same time, it's uh, an acknowledgement that that, the promise of that proclamation has still not arrived. So celebration, vigil, protest, proclamation, I went to this protest. I, I was actually, I, there was kind of uncertainty. Is, is this a celebration? Is it a protest? And my experience of it was that it was actually all of those. It was at one moment a celebration and it would become, you know, the volume would go up and then it would become quiet. So it was an event that held all of those aspects of the heart. And for me as a white person there, it was confessional. For me to be able to chant Black Lives Matter in that moment, I have to practice confession of all the ways I've been been complicit in systems for whom black lives do not matter. So that confession was a necessary precondition of my participation in this ceremony of collective mourning, protest, celebration, anger. So I like to hold hold up this this confessional orientation 
for those of us who are white and who are doing this anti-racist work. This is an unnecessary, I feel, act, orientation that makes the work possible, that, that makes the work sustainable. And as it's at the heart of what makes this work dharmic, too. And it's part of what will enable us to begin to melt away roots of transgression and lineages of ancient twisted karma. But I wanted to end this particular talk uh, on more of a personal note. So this is June 20th, which is uh, the anniversary of my mother's death. Uh, she died in 2006, which was really the beginning of my, very beginning of my Zen practice. Some of you were there then. And the mourning and grieving of her death has been this, the, a constant companion on my path. And I grieve in fits and starts. And so in preparing this talk, I was looking through uh, what's called the Ehe Koroku, which is this ginormous book of Dogen's, uh, mostly Do uh, Dogen's Dharma talks. And they were done in, these were done mostly at the, towards the end of his life. He, he himself, you know, the things in the city had kind of fallen apart and he wasn't actually in the process of reimagining his own community in a monastery. And a lot of these talks happened when a Heiji, the monastery was being built and he was practicing in the mountains. And, you know, most of us are familiar with the Shobogenzo, which is also this big. Um, I've always thought, you know, for a, a, a practice that valorizes noble silence, Dogen actually had quite a bit to say. And fortunately, his disciple, Koenejo, was there to record it all. And I found, so there are two Dharma talks in this book which were given um, on the memorial of his own mother, of Dogen's death. Um, I mean, Dogen's mother's death. Um, and it's said that when Dogen was a young boy at his mother's funeral, he had this uh, insight into impermanence as he was watching the smoke uh, waft away from the incense at his mother's funeral. So this, and a lot of these talks are very, they're not even talks, they're very short. Some are just a sentence. And this one's called Remembering My Mother. Dharma Hall Discourse number 409 on the memorial morning for my late mother. And he has this poem. In an abandoned village, a plum blossoms on an old bare branch. A snowflake falls on a fiery furnace. The black dragon's jewel is behind the straw sandals. Who would regret 
the moon, and the vast sky. I'll read that again. In an abandoned village, a plum blossoms on an old bare branch. This kind of poignant image of life and impermanence. You know, just one plum blossom in an empty village on a bare branch. A snowflake falls on a fiery furnace. And the footnote on that says, a snowflake falling on a fiery furnace is a simile for a patch-robed monk who has passed through a forest of thorns. So again, this image of melting, melting away, ongoing practices of confession and showing up that melt away the chill separations that we've constructed. A snowflake falls on a fiery furnace. The black dragon's jewel is behind the straw sandals. For me, that line is pointing to practice and realization. Yeah. Straw sandals going off to dusty lands. The black dragon's jewel is already here. And then who would regret the moon in the vast sky? In the end, there's no separation and appreciation, actually appreciation for the moon in the sky. And then at the end, Dogen says, Today this mountain monk offers some words for repaying my debt of gratitude to my mother. My monk staff expresses it intimately for her. So I too would like to dedicate whatever um, whatever merit was generated from this talk to uh, to the memory of my mother and expression of gratitude. Okay. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.